Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about an uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind. It woke me up from my sleep and I don't like it. No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. Welcome to the show. This show is being recorded for December 18th, 2022. First to business. This show is not kid safe, not work safe, not safe, not holiday safe, not anything safe, not safe, safe, safe. You're in danger. Watch out. The show is Creative Commons licensed, non-commercial attribution, 4.0, unported. The theme music is by the late great band, The Gentle Readers. They're at gentlereaders.com. The bandwidth is via Cashfly under the kind auspices of Backbeat Media. Thank you, one and all. I do not speak for my day job. I don't even say who they are. It's very Googleable, but I speak for them uh, in the operation of my day job, and I'm not speaking for anyone but myself and my stupid ideas and my horrible person right here. This is all me, and nobody else is responsible for it. All right, are we good? Let us play a song that is a tradition around these parts. Uh, if you've listened through more than one holiday season, you probably know what's coming up next. And uh, me personally, um, I always liked the era when David Letterman would do the Christmas show. And for something like 20 years, it was the identical show. He always had Jay Thomas. They did the same stuff. They told the same stories. Uh, they put the meatball on the the Christmas tree and threw footballs at it. They did then they had Darlene Love, and it was the same show, and there was something comforting about it. And so in that spirit, here is the same song. And for once, it's actually being played at a time that is relevant to Hanukkah. Here is Jill Sobiul with Jesus Was a Dreidel Spinner. Jesus was a dreidel spinner, and this we can't forget. Paul was Saul before he was Paul, and the Last Supper was a Seder. Jesus was a dreidel spinner, and all his disciples were too. So all you Christians remember, your Lord was a Jew.
There you go. The traditional song of the show. One of the two traditional songs of this show. And you know, something, as many times as I played it, something was kind of bugging me. Now, it's not like I'm looking for um, truth and authenticity from the silly, uh, from Jill's silly song, but I thought, Jesus couldn't literally have been a dreidel spinner, right? When did the siege of Masada happen? And I looked it up. It was like 70 AD. So the thing that Hanukkah is about didn't happen till like 40 years after Jesus was crucified. So the timetable of the stupid song doesn't even work out. But I still love the song, and I do love a song that is both a uh, that is both a Christmas song and a Hanukkah song. And if only we had uh, also a Kwanzaa carol in there too, we'd really uh, we'd really be covering the bases. And maybe a Diwali song. Do we have one of those? Oh, anyway, let us now get to what? Oh, I don't know. Everybody calls the reading of the patrons. That may have bl- blown out my ears. It blew out my ears. Pulse, uh, uh, pipe wire, man, it's killing me. Thank you to the following people who went to Patreon and pledged. Uh, you can go to bit.ly, bit.ly slash EGC Patreon. And these are the following people. Roughly in sign-up order, here we go. Derek Coward, Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, Arhuli, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Brant, Brant Gashoko, Grant Bachoko would be the person, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah, the Enigmagic, Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Skeeter Murphy, Robert Gibson, Len Edgerly, Melissa A. Bartell, Andrew Howe, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Dyko, Kevin Freedy, Brian Springer, Tim Shaw, Rob Usden, John Gehring, Wayne Pittenger, Brian Jones, Joe Pollock, Jeff Dangle, J.P. Shippard, Steve Holden, he's back on, he's no longer in exile, and patrons in exile, Eric Peterson and Nutty Nukechus. Steve Holden had to create another different account with a different email address to get around the Patreon screw-up. But that's how dedicated Steve Holden is. Thank you, one and all, and again, if you'd like to be a patron and keep the shambling mess a shambling through yet another miserable year, you can do that. B-I-T dot L-Y slash E-G-C Patreon. And with that, thank you one and all, and let us kill the music. I threatened a feedback show and then uh, failed to post a show and didn't really give anyone time. So this is the long-threatened feedback show. So let us get to some. If you'd like to get feedback, send it to Dave at EvilGeniusChronicles.org. Uh, I'm going to try to to uh, collect together various disparate bits and pieces from around the intertubes. Um, we'll start with some email. And what I'm going to do, by the way, is when I'm done with this, I'm basically going to declare um, audible show feedback bankruptcy. <laughs> So uh, at that point, um, if you had something that you want to hear heard on the air, resend it, send me a new thing. But uh, I'm going to start over fresh year zero of EGC feedback. That, as they say, is easy for you to say. I'm going to do it this early. I'm going to have a fine sip of this. Mm. You might think I'm suffering from frozen lip syndrome. It's actually kind of warm today. I don't know what is going on. Okay, let's start with some read night. Um, uh, And I'm going to start from the present day, go until uh, we get exhausted, and then, uh, like I say, declare bankruptcy. So uh, read night says, uh, if it's not too late for the feedback episode, I've been thinking about how sometimes complete episodes of podcast series disappear, get re-released with suspiciously different length or caveats. For instance, the Caliphate series, which so embarrassed the NYT after receiving a Peabody Award. I always wonder what happened behind the scenes. Have you ever had regrets about something you put out on the air with EGC or your old radio shows? Have you felt the need to retract, amend, or apologize for something? No shame in it, of course, and I've never heard any missteps from you. Oh, there are missteps. Uh, but just wondering about your experience. Okay, so so read. Um, a couple different things uh, come to mind. Um, first off is, I have no idea what you're talking about with the Caliphate series. <laughs> the New York Times, I don't know what any of this stuff is. But uh, I'll take your word uh, that such a stuff uh, uh, exists. Um, 
I can tell you, um, I f- with Mad at Dad, I first um, redacted an episode. I published an episode and then uh, changed my mind, pulled it down, and then I just basically let the domain expire. <laughs> On a recent Rock and Roll Geek show, uh, Butler said something. He was like, he was surprised that um, like that the Mad at Dad uh, site was completely gone. And, you know, maybe that would have been uh, meaningful if he hadn't noticed it had disappeared a year, over a year prior. So that sort of says uh, says all you need to know there. <laughs> it bums me that it's gone, but I, not enough to notice that it wasn't there. Um, the uh, I can remember, um, if you go and look at uh, George Robb's uh, Geologic podcast, there are entire episodes that are missing. I think there's one episode where he talked about a lawsuit, and I think um, for uh, advice of counsel, it came down. But also, um, he had a relationship with Soccer Girl for some time. I want to say it went on for years, and I think he edited that out of the entire series. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you will no no longer uh, ever hear any evidence. You can listen to episode one forward, and you'll never uh, you, you will not hear any uh, tell of that ever having happened. I have re-edited um, episodes of this show and taken things out. Mostly it's because I have mentioned a story about uh, the family, and then somebody didn't want that story mentioned about the family. Um, I don't know that I've... Uh, I don't know that I've done a thing that I personally said, oh, that can't stand. And then I took it down. It is mostly about other people and them saying, oh, I don't want that part of your stupid thing. Um, I did, like in the radio show era, there are things absolutely that I regret. Um, and there's one that just makes me, uh, it sets my teeth on edge. And it was, I was interviewing Clive Barker. And at the time we said something about gay marriage. And I said something about, cause he was, I interviewed him in 95 or 96. I would have, no, it would have been later. It would have been like 96 or 97, probably 96-ish. And uh, I said something. Um, he was out of the closet, but I think he had not been out crazy long. Like maybe within a f- few years, he had, been, he had, you know, publicly announced he was gay. Um, and it was one of these, uh, I forget who somebody said, it was like, a, like the soap opera announced they're gay. Uh, when they come out, they announce they're gay, and oh, here's my husband of 22 years, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. Um, so he, you know, he announced he was gay, and I we're talking about it had to be 96 because we we're talking about Bob Dole. <laughs> so, uh, and I mentioned something about gay marriage as opposed to normal marriage or something like that. I like basically gay marriage was the alternative to normal, and uh, boy, I really regret that. You know, it's like one statement in a long forgotten uh, radio series. But, you know, I wish uh, I wish I hadn't said that at the time. He probably sort of, you know, he probably kind of tightened up when I said that. But, uh, you know, it was I didn't mean anything by it. I was tr- it was I was sort of clumsily trying to be supportive. But, uh, you know, that happened. So people do this. I have done it in minor ways. Um you know, if you don't count the entirety of Mad at Dad, the whole 200 episodes of Mad at Dad, um, you know, but in general, in general, it's probably not going to be me because my tolerance, uh, my tolerance for looking like an asshole in public is pretty high, <laughs> you know, at this point. But uh, there you go. Um, thank you for that feedback, Reed. We have another one from Reed that was uh, even the same day earlier. Uh, talk about... Uh, kid on the podcast uh, and listening to me stammer. <laughs> and they said, uh, sometimes people seem embarrassed to bring their kids, but they seem pressured to by the kids. Uh, he included some uh, wonderful pictures of a kid in a 2008 Mustang. <laughs> Pretty fantastic. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, I honestly, I have no problem if the kid sits around quietly uh, while I do the show. It is, and it's not so much the kid, it's anyone. Like, uh, it's funny how many how many people don't want to do a podcast by themselves. And as I've said many times, like my listening tends towards solo. I probably listen to there are probably not too many people who listen to as high a proportion of as I do of solo podcasts. Like fifty percent of what I listen to is like a one person talking show. Most people like seem to like the panel shows or interview shows or stuff like that. And I like. Uh, I like a solo show, but the dynamic is different when there's a person in the room. And 
as I've said many times, like the podcast to a live audience always sounds different. And in my mind, always sounds worse because you're playing to that crowd. And I've tried very hard when I was doing that show um, to just kind of forget that the person was sitting there watching me and not be self-conscious about it and not play to the audience of one. You know, that's the thing. His, it was all right having the audience of one, but I was not trying to just play that one uh, audience, you know, make that one person laugh to the uh, exclusion of everything else. So thank you for that. Um, John Gehring asked me a question. And I responded to him in email. Uh, I actually got around to responding in email, which was uh, atypical. But uh, he was asking um, about, uh, I talked about the um, uh, standing desk. And so the standing desk I have in the new office, and I got pretty early when we moved in the house. Uh, if you look at, and I don't, this is, you know, this was a year ago. So if you look at a standing desk now, I don't know what they cost. But, you know, you get your fancy, like, uh, button you know, servo motor, press a button and it automatically goes up and down. And those probably cost a grand or more. And even the ones that have like a hand crank cost in the, I think the bo- the cheapest you can get a standing desk is like 500 bucks, even with a hand crank mechanism. However, there's this, uh, Home Depot had this Husky workbench, which was like $200. And I defy you to tell this apart from a, stand- a, a standard standing desk. It is the same thing. And I got the biggest one they had, which is like six feet wide by I think two feet, six feet by two feet, and it costs like two hundred and twenty bucks or something. And if you got a, a narrower one, you could get it for like one hundred and fifty, I think. Uh, now, who knows what any of this goes for now? Like everything may have inflated since then. But uh, I will put a link to this thing in the show notes, and it has been uh, it has been a dream, honestly. I could theoretically crank it down, and probably I spend too much time. I have a, a desk chair sitting behind it. And sometimes I'll sit down because I'm hit the age where I, you know, standing all day, every day is not as uh, appealing as it may once have been. Um, so I'll sit down for a little while and I do probably do too much where I sit down and then I reach up to the standing desk to like type or do stuff. Probably I should just sit down or, or go and lie down for somewhere and then stand up again. I probably shouldn't do that because it's probably ergonomically way worse to do that than to do, do nothing. But uh, And I could theoretically crank the thing down to a sitting desk height if I wanted to. I just never have. Um, I mean, I, I have a crank right to the side. I, I could do it. I just And I don't even know how hard it was to do. I've never done it since I've loaded the desk. Um, I cranked it up. I mean, I cranked it up to this height when I first got the thing. I don't know. Uh, I don't recall it being that difficult. I don't know that uh, it will or won't be hard. I could uh, just for an experiment try cranking it down but anyway that's uh look in the show notes you'll have a link to the exact thing that i bought but it was husky brand uh workbench it's meant for the garage but it is been fantastic uh inside my office as a standing desk um i got some feedback i got a bunch of feedback in various um venues about corbalund people liked that show um Nutty Nukejoff sent me uh an email uh expressing praise for the show and sending me another um Another uh, song that uh, may happen uh, in the future. <laughs> and, and it says her husband considers that song an anthem of his trade. And I noticed a lot of the people. So the person who sent it to me originally is Canadian. A lot of the people who uh, there seem to be a Canadian uh, leaning to the uh, Corblund feedback. It wasn't uniquely Canadian, but it was it tended towards Canadian. By the way, I'm gonna pause the feedback here a little bit just to mention. At work, we had um, we had just a, a like a water coolery. Um, we do this sometimes uh, where people just get on a Google Meet and you just work and you sit there and maybe you chat, maybe you don't. It's kind of like trying to emulate the uh, experience of all being in the same room, which you know, you know. At this point, I have met. I had breakfast with the guy who's my boss, or. Not my boss boss, but, you know, like the lead of the team I'm on. And uh, I had breakfast with him because he lives in L.A. I had breakfast when I was out there for the podcast Hall of Fame. Other than that, I've never met one single coworker uh, in the flesh. But we got on a thing. We were talking about stuff. And one of the dudes uh, is from Nova Scotia, lived in Silicon Valley for like 20 some years. And just recently, like within the last three months, has moved back to Nova Scotia, partly, you know, because he wants his kids to grow up there and partly because it's Nova Scotia and it's not the Bay Area, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And, but we were talking about uh, the Acadians 
and I mentioned uh, something about uh, he was talking about the Acadians being expelled from Nova Scotia, and I said, and I said I know the other half of the story, which is about the Acadians getting to Louisiana, and he basically uh, about how the British basically chased them out of Canada down North America. Until finally they got to a place where the land was, uh, I use land in air quotes, where the, 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 the place they ended up with was so inhospitable and undesirable that nobody wanted to take it from them. That was the bayous of Louisiana. And that's how the Acadians ended up becoming the Cajuns. And uh, it's an interesting story. But that's, um, it's funny how even my, like my, my uh, Canadian knowledge has, um, uh, is filtered through Louisiana somehow um let's see let's go to some more stuff um also reed knight sent me some stuff so reed knight has been very active uh this fall he sent me uh some chicken chokers which i guess i should play that uh in the future i've got a physical album that he mailed me and then i've got uh some uh uh digital tracks that were not i repeat were not dropboxed to me (laughs) in one manner or another Um, i've got a lot of feedback from my uh my three um, my three exiled patrons. <laughs> Boy, October, man. October was a rough month for that. Um, for uh, basically the uh, it was the point at which I forget when this thing happened. August or September when Patreon made this change, and it had something to do with he had a less than one dollar per thing. Like p- pledges could no longer be less than one dollar. Had I still been a, pl- a patron of Cord Killers with my ten cent a show. Pledge, I would have been in exactly the same state with them, which is you're not you're from the to the creator, you look like you unsubscribed, and to the uh to the patron, you look like you were forced out and you can't get back in. And it's a clusterfuck, and I don't know what's going on here. Um then uh back in it took a while between when I got it, so then I've got the feedback. The feedback that is Darren Griffith sending me the uh, Core Blend song. And I've been going driving myself crazy because I said Griffith and the show, but he's Chancellor Griffin <laughs> on the, on the, I don't know, man. I'm getting completely confused. So sometimes when you go to the, distro, the, the Discord, the Evil Genius Chronicles Discord, and as always, that link will be in the show notes. It is every time. When you first sign up, please tell me who you are. Particularly, some of them are pretty easy because they've got you know a recognizable name attached with it. But if you are, uh, you know, whatever hot rod, uh, you know, hot rod dude seven two five five, I don't know who you are. Please tell me who you are so I know to associate the patron or the listener with the uh, the uh, Discord username. Because until that mapping's made, I assume you're a rando and. Uh, Everything good that happens for you uh, comes from being associated with that. All right. Then we've got some feedback from Alex Long, who says, did you get my last email? I'd really like to add your podcast to the latest social audio app. So let me know if you're interested. We want the voice behind Evil Genius Chronicles on Wisdom. I'd like to offer you the top badge, our highest badge, if you join us. Wisdom is the place to meet, share, and learn from follow, fellow podcasters, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the top badge is Wisdom's version of the Twitter blue checkmark. This might be the greatest thing ever. I don't think I've heard another word about it. I haven't really pursued it, so there you go. Um, Jeff Dangle sent me an email a while ago. Um, Love the podcast. Hope this is not something you've spoken about before. You're the first person I thought of when this topic came up, which can be a great thing or a horrible thing. Your choice. I used to keep a journal electronic uh, and want to get back in the habit. Entries will be open-ended writing that may be anything from what I ate today to very personal. Either way, I want to keep them as private as possible, backed up, etc., etc. In the past, I used the Journey app, uh, which uses Google Drive as its backend storage. I'm unclear if it's encrypted but or not, but it uses some sort of hidden files with a within Drive, so it isn't a file I see when I'm looking at my Google Drive. That's nice, but it still puts me on edge. So I'm wondering if you have something you use and how you reconcile the need for privacy versus not having to basically be a DevOps staff for your journal app to keep it running. Uh, Let me take another sip. I'm having a hard time reading all of a sudden. 
I am savvy. So the idea of spinning up some private storage, managing encryption keys, running something somewhere is appealing, but triggers the, do I need yet another complicated thing in my life thought? Oh, brother. (laughs) Oh, my brother. Uh, I could also do some really simple thing like just mark down files encrypted somewhere. Day one is another app that appeals to me too. Have you chosen an electronic journal solution? Someone mentioned Obsidian to me, but I'm not all that familiar. Um, I have seen Joplin, which seems like Evernote. I want the tool to not get in the way. Uh, of getting thoughts out of my head and into a doc. Physical writing is not an option, although it appeals to me. My writing is horrible, and it just doesn't let me flow as much. Maybe a good podcast topic. Um, uh, And so I did answer an email, and I did talk about Obsidian. I'll talk about Obsidian more. So Jeff, I think, um, I don't know... So Jeff came in as a patron around this time period, which was, you know, like late summer, early, uh, early fall, uh, and may have jumped aboard before the big Obsidian thing. I want to say, when did Obsidian happen? It feels like maybe it was like spring of 2021. So there was a big burst of uh, discussing of that, uh, you know, when I was first getting, um, getting that spun up. Um, but it is Obsidian, and it has been Obsidian for long enough now that uh, long enough that it is a habit. Like it's become the thing. It was for a while. And, and he really uh, got me with the, uh, you know, DevOps and being an admin for yet another thing. Um, earlier today, I listened to the self-hosted podcast and that's, <laughs> that show is basically that like, all right, now I'm going to set up another, another, um, I'm going to set up another candle and a swinging pendulum in my Rube Goldberg machine. That is my miserable life. <laughs> something that can fall over and then cause lots of problems. And I have multiple of those failure points, right? When uh, the SD card and home assistant takes a shit, a bunch of stuff doesn't work quite right until I get that straight straightened out. Uh, you know, and so uh, Obsidian is pretty, my usage of it, like here, if you wanted to do the simplest possible hands office approach, it would be to set up Obsidian, pay them, I think, Five dollars ish. It's similar, I think, to what I pay Home Assistant. Five ish dollars, maybe fifty dollars a year, something like that, for Obsidian Sync, and then it will move around to their cloud storage, which is a lot like Dropbox, which is what I use. I just have my vault sitting in Dropbox, but you can pay them; they will do Sync, and I think if you do that, it will also do the thing Bruce Lerner does this, where you can um, basically expose bits of that as if they were um, as if they were a web page. And it'll render the markdown file and just make it a public web page. Very similar to if you've ever used GitHub pages, you can write uh, in GitHub and then make a static page out of it. So you can do a similar type thing. Um, what I do is none of that. I just put my I, my vault in Dropbox and I just sync it around. And so um, the one of the biggest factor. I had when I first did this. And if you go back and listen to those old episodes, you'll hear me working through my thinking. My fir- The first decision you have to make is, how do I structure my vaults? And so the, the like the zeroth decision, <laughs> the decision that informs every other decision is, do I have my home in home, my home life, personal life in one vault and my work life in another vault? And, that would have been possible, and I considered it. You have basically two vaults. The problem being is that part of the value you get from Obsidian is to cross-linking. So you know you give it this double square bracket format, and it automatically links to uh, the page, the note that is uh, that has that title. So you type in somebody's name, and it auto-completes, right? So you double bracket, double bracket, and you start typing Clive Barker. And if you have a Clive Barker note, it's linked to that. And then you can do stuff like find all the notes that link to Clive Barker. So you can find your web of Clive Barker information. And if you have uh, if you have home and personal separate, um, and you have any interaction, you, you had any links that you wanted between those two things, they don't happen. So you can't, for example, have a master to-do list that's all your work to-dos and all your personal to-dos. Or things like that. I mean, there was absolutely a case to be made for the two vaults, which is why it wasn't just a, you know, if it was an easy decision, I wouldn't have even really thought about it that hard. I did think about it a lot. Like, there's a a, a simplicity and a lowered risk of data leakage. Like, do you conceivably, you, you, you may have things 
uh, in your work life that you just want to keep in your work life, you know, you, you may not want to cross pollinate that much. So um, I went this way. I, I'm not sure about it. And then, so once you make that decision, then there's various ways uh, to go about it. There's the Zettelkasten, which is his whole thing. I'm not going to talk about it at all because I frankly barely understand it. It's kind of like the extreme programming <laughs> of personal journaling. It's uh, there's a lot of refactoring. Uh, you, you, it's about like just capturing everything as you think about it, dump it in, and then sort it out later. And it uh, it kind of frightens me a little bit. So I use the para uh, structure, which is four four main folders: projects, areas of responsibility, reference, and then archive. And so one way or another, you know, like this show, this episode that I'm recording right now, this is a project, and it's got a folder, and it's in the project thing. And when I'm done with it. Uh, and I've published it and put it to bed, I move it from the projects to the archives. And so I have a whole list of, I, I've using Obsidian, uh, I have managed to do some things like the fact that I have a, a consistent format um, for all the show notes now. Um, I can do things like, you can almost do databasey type things with Obsidian. So I can have the song that I played and I, I give it a, a common, uh, I don't know what you call it. You give it like a common... Pre, it's like a key. You you have this way of uh, ascribing metadata to a thing. So I can say the song that I played, the art, the, you know, the band that I played, and those bands get one of those links, and the song gets one of those links, and then uh, I can begin to do statistics. Like show me the last ten songs that I played. Show me the band that I have played the most, which I think is Valley Lodge, <laughs> since I've been keeping statistics. You know, so. And I have used that. That's one of the reasons why I don't play certain groups quite so often, because now I can easily see how often I've played them. And I can uh, avoid that bias. Oh, it's been a long time since I played them. Oh, it's been two months. <laughs> you know, so uh, that helps out with that. There's a lot of, there's way more power. There's, for as much as I'm using it, and I feel like I'm getting a good use out of it, I could easily do 10 times what I'm doing without scratching the surface. The uh, When you watch some of the uh, Obsidian, like how I do things, um, videos or presentations from people, particularly academics, like researching academics, people writing like literature, uh, uh, PhD theses and things like that. Some of these people get crazy about that. And I have noted that part of the reason for this, uh, I, I think, um, what the hell is the uh, Eleanor Cut? Katakan, Kotoken, something like that. Um, she uh, is one of the big ones in the Obsidian community and is very much about like everything she reads, she takes notes from, uh, to, and then she goes back and refactors the notes and, you know, summarizes the summary and all this kind of stuff. There's um, two things, I think, and this sounds ungenerous for me. I don't mean it as ungenerous as it will sound. There are two factors that I think make um, particularly like a grad student type, a researcher type, um, want to do that with their notes, which is the cost of acquiring that knowledge in the first pay The cost of acquiring those insights and the knowledge and the things they run across uh, are relatively high. Like they may be digging through some dusty books and they find an insight. So they need that captured because they can't easily go back and look at it again, right? They can't Google on the thing. They found it in a research library. But also... The value of their time, relatively low. <laughs> They're not easily turning their time into money. And if they were, they probably uh, wouldn't have so much time to spend on the endlessly like re sifting and re-sifting uh, the insights of those notes. So uh, that's the ungenerous part. I don't, I don't know if that's actually true uh, or not. It feels like that. It's part of why I'm not going to spend... I mean, I want to get the thing down so that I can search it and... Uh, you know, once it's captured, I feel like my job is mostly done. That may mean I'm just leaving, uh, I'm leaving actionable value on the table. That if I spent a little bit more time, like digging back through my notes, I could do something better with it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it would be easy enough to set up a summary page that says, "Show me the last fifty things I have touched," and go back in there and say, "Is there something I need to?" Uh, is there something I need to put in a more permanent form from any of these? You know, there's lots of ways you could skin this cat. So anyway, part of my um, uh, part of my urgency, it wasn't really an urgency of getting into Obsidian, but I absolutely wanted out of Evernote. Um, 
12 or 15 years ago when I started using it. I loved it. And then it just slowly got worse and worse and worse. The best thing uh, about Evernote of the last 10 years was its automatic um, OCR. So you could put something in there, put in a PDF or something, and then it would be searchable. During Hacktoberfest, I talked about this, I think, on the Discord. I may not have talked about it in the uh, open show here. Um, when I qualified for my Hacktoberfest 2022 uh, open source contribution you know, uh, t-shirt, I did it because I was making uh, changes to the Obsidian OCR plugin. So if you use Obsidian and you want to try this thing, uh, some of the code is in there. Like before, uh, you could spin infinite number of... Uh, OCR processes. So if you have Tesseract on your machine and particularly on a Linux machine like I do, and you uh, turn the the thing on for the first time and you have like 100 or 200 graphics in your vault to be uh, OCR'd, it would spin up 200 simultaneous Tesseract processes, rendering your computer unusable for something like uh, two to 100 hours. (laughs) I don't know, something like that. And uh, so I put in some code to limit that. I did some other stuff. I helped the kid with, uh, uh, I believe the kid is like a computer science grad student in Germany, Uh, the guy who originally created it. I did a little bit of UX changes. I found some bugs. I found a button or two that was doing the opposite of what it was intended. And uh, so I did a little fixes. Um, I mean to go back and do it because, uh, do some more changes because there's one big conceptual change that doesn't exist there. I have four main Obsidian devices in my life. I have my personal laptop, my work laptop, my phone, and a tablet, any of one of which I could either be reading or writing uh, a, uh, a note to Obsidian or from Obsidian on any of those devices. However, and so uh, I could put, I could take, find somewhere a graphic and want to add it to my vault. And that graphic may contain text, and I might want to be able to search on that text, you know, which is what Evernote does and what Obsidian OCR enables. However, of those four devices, I only want one of those four doing the OCR. Two of them are mobile devices that I'm not going to install Tesseract on, and it would be ridiculous to have my phone trying to OCR the thing. Um, And at the same time, I don't want... uh, It wouldn't be technically infeasible to have my work Mac and my Linux personal laptop both trying to OCR. But what I don't want is them like fighting each other for control <laughs> and each of them doing it and then like racing, you know, playing King of the Hill where whoever does it last overwrites the thing. It's, there's no point. So I need the concept of I am the OCR machine. I am the creator of the OCR indices. I'm the one who does the scanning of the thing and I write the little files that enable the search. Everybody else is a consumer of the OCR. Um, and I need to find a way to con- configure that um, in such a way that it's persistent in a synced vault. And Obsidian does a lot of stuff with, you know, basically just text files and JSON files. And if I write the thing and I sync it, then how do I, I basically need to have a profile. I don't know. That, that's the problem is figuring out how to do that. But I want that concept. And the kid, uh, the original author, Jonah, Jonah, Jonas, uh, the original author says, uh, he has no interest in pursuing that line, but he fully supports me doing whatever I want. And if I submit the pull request, he will prove it. So uh, there we go. I might, uh, you know, that might be a thing that happens in the, I have a couple of weeks off uh, around the holidays here. So that might be part of what happens. I certainly did a bunch of code in the month of uh, October. Um, I don't know that he knew <laughs> that he was going to get an onslaught of code contributions for Hacktoberfest, but he put the Hacktoberfest uh, label on his project. And when I was looking for something I wanted to contribute to his jump to the top of the heap. And, uh, it's now quite usable actually. It's, I mean, you can do, it's a pretty decent version, uh, of the Evernote functionality, uh, in Obsidian OCR. And, uh, like if that's the thing holding you back, give it a shot because it actually, uh, works, uh, quite nicely. So there you go. Thank you, Jeff. Metal Dan. Back in September, sent me an email titled New Orleans Monday Morning. I guess this was the show about uh, when I was talking about wanting to uh, New Orleans was great to be on uh, over the weekend. But did I want to wake up I want to go to bed Sunday night and then wake up Monday morning and I'm in New Orleans? This is uh, almost a, like a beat poem of an email. Let me just read it to you. First listen was a nice 30 nap. I needed that. Love working from home. Slide whistle more than once. Annoying. Harmonica to Blues Tom Butler, every time. Fun episode. 
Is it wrong that I want to send a voice recorded message to R and R Geek with simply pronounced incorrectly Guernica Mancini? Say it correctly, Guernica. Pronounced incorrectly, Guenerica. <laughs> you get the joke, or is that just being a dick? I. It is being a It is being a dick. It is a. I do get the joke, and I do want you to do it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the slide whistle, I think, is a reference to the Reading Glasses podcast, which, it, like I said uh, at the time, if I ever unsubscribe from this show, it will be because of uh, overuse of the slide whistle. But I did used to during Mad at Dad, the aforementioned Mad at Dad. I kept a harmonica handy. Once I learned how to do that, uh, uh, the whatever it is, Manish Boy or something, and every time Butler would say something like, I woke up that morning, i go, <laughs> <laughs> so i would uh i loved to do that i was like what'd you say and he'd say hey and if i missed it the first time like he said it and then i ha- had him repeat it and then he knew what was coming but it, it was always great if i had it handy and he would just say so i got up that morning <laughs> am i am i wrong what's what? there's a canonical song that has that i think it's managed boy i could be wrong I am uh, in no way a, uh, a blues expert, but it's something like that. And then once, whoever did it for the first time, it's been done 1.7 billion times since then. But uh, there you go. Um, let's keep going. Uh, some more Reed. Reed is a very active correspondent, uh, and I feel like Reed is one of the reasons why I do this, uh, <laughs> doing this feedback show because I feel like I, I want to. Um, I want to reward the enthusiasm, which I feel like maybe I don't do, particularly when an email sits for like three, three to nine weeks before I respond to it. Um, and he was talking about the discuss, discussion on media overabundance on how I organize it for consuming it all. One of my recent revelations is that simply having a to-do list from media is part of the problem. It conflates stuff that would be fun to do with stuff that must be done. What should be fun, the media, ends up being organized like stuff that isn't fun, paying bills, etc. And I find my own roving interests render any to-do list stale in short order. I have to blow up the list occasionally to make sure I'm not just obeying the marching orders of past me. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So um, so basically, he's talking, he's talking about my fun cue discussion. I will say. So uh, I've more or less beat this to death. Um, one of the things... And, and this, I have been talking about this on the EGC Discord. I have really been screwing up the way I do my comic book TBR. So in the, I, I absolutely with him. I, for the most part, I used to have in Evernote. I had a document. It was called, I think, Fun Cues, and it had my comic book reading, the comic book reading list in order, and it had books I wanted to read. It was exactly what he was saying, which is effectively turning fun stuff into a drag. And more than that. It starts to be, hey, don't forget you want to read this book and then this book. But then what it becomes is you're failing because look at the it's it's like all of my to do lists. It's a catalog of my past me's failures. (laughs) It's it's a it's a manifestation of aspirations unrealized and uh, it becomes kind of a drag. And so my comic book uh, TBR for a while, I had it also I had not only did I have them physically you know, sitting in a box in an order, but I also had that same order in Evernote. And every time I got bought new comics or read comics, I would maintain that. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? But the way I have been handling my comic book TBR list is, you know, at some point I was caught up and then I started getting, having more than I could read. And the, you know, that's when the TBR got founded. Let's say there's a point where I have 40 or 50 comics. So I just kind of put them uh, in a box until I got to them. But then as more comics came in faster than I'm reading them, uh, I got to the point where um, I would read, let's say I've got a new um, issue of something that's not already in the bin. Uh, I would read it. Uh, If it's a new series, I would read it, see how I liked it, because Certainly in the past, I have had a problem of buying something like 10 issues of a thing before I read it. And then I realize, oh, I hate this fucking thing. <laughs> and I've bought a year's worth of it. So I try to always read issues one or one and two of every new series um, before I do that. But then let's say I've read issue one or two. I said, OK, I'm going to keep reading it. Then a ne- the number three comes in. I would put it at the back of the box and then just keep going on. Well, what I end up doing now is uh, I've got a box with the farther back stuff is stuff that's been very recently purchased but now there's like 200 comics between me and it so i just bought this thing and it's effectively out of reach for me and i don't know why i did it that way it's just 
plain dumb. And at some point, fairly recently, I said, let's do it differently. Every time I bring a new comic in this house and there are any issues in the backlog, let's read the backlog. Now, bear in mind, because of I've been doing this, and I've been doing this so long uh, in this janky, screwed-up way that I uh, got an issue of the current Marvel Thor. I had issues of Thor. I was caught up around the uh, Jane Foster Thor you know, like the Thor Love and Thunder storyline that was in the comic and that was around 2018. So I was caught up around then and then the backlog started. So um, I was reading four over four years of Thor comics. <laughs> I'm still only at King Thor. I'm just getting to Donny Cates's run, which is like two years ago. So I've read two years of Thor comics in the last week or so. It's just ridiculous. And so what I'm doing is I'm basically like I'll grab basically like five or six, basically like a story arc, and I'll read them. If I get to, uh, if I buy new comics, you know, uh, let's say I read five or six issues of Thor, and then I buy new comics. Now I'm doing the whole process again. Any series I'm caught up on, I'll just read those, and then I might have a handful, two or three, that have backlog. And if so, I'll pick those, pick one of them, and I'll read some backlog. And I'm chugging through backlog it's just like until I get caught up on all recent series, it's just going to be kind of a management nightmare with <laughs> disheveled piles lying around. But the upshot is I'm actually reading, oh, I don't know, 10 times the number of issues every week that I was reading. I definitely had a problem uh, for a while there where theoretically I would tell you I'm a comic reader. I, I'm a current comic reader. I have a pull box at a comic shop and I go not every single week, but, you know, two to three times a month to pick up my books. I've got recent books. I've been buying them and I'm reading. And so I'm buying like 40 comics a month. So I'm buying like 400. Let's say I'm buying an even 500 issues a year and I'm reading like 100 issues a year. <laughs> that's what the, that's what this problem is. And so now I'm getting, you know, it wasn't quite that extreme because the backlog is maybe 500 issues and it's like four years deep. So let's say the discrepancy is like a 150 a year, but it's still, it's, that's how you fill up long boxes. <laughs> and that's how the thing gets deep. So now I'm actually like the, uh, if nothing else, I can tell you that uh, the TBR long box I had two long boxes, and they were so full that I couldn't slide new comics in. And that is no longer a problem. So at least physically, I can tell there's fewer comics. Both of them now have room to put uh, issues in. So I'm, I'm moving it down. But I've read, basically, I got caught up on the entirety of Black Panther. And it was like the end of the intergalactic uh, storyline through the recent one, the recent series. Um and, and Wakanda Forever series. Um, I'm reading a bunch of the old Firefly comics, and I had years of those. It's just... So then what I'm going to do is once... It, there's a theoretical point in the future where every current series that I'm buying um, is read up. And there's nothing. At this point, at that point, I'll start going into f series that are no longer current that are sitting in there. Like uh, Descender, Ascender from Image Comics. It was Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn. Uh I read, you know, like 25 issues of Descender, and then I think there's 36 of Ascender and maybe 24, or 36 of Descender and 24 of Ascender. It's like future AI uh, robot, robotic uh, story. And, uh, you know, so I think the story's been over. I think the series ended like a year or two ago, and I still have the end of Descender and all of Ascender to read. It's like, God damn it, dude. So, uh, you know, I will say like anytime I have a, a, a chunk of time, so I'm going to have a couple weeks off of work at the end of the year. And I do often in these situations say, all right, now I got this long put time. I'm going to, and I, I basically much like when you get uh, you, you know, tax return, you say, oh, I got a thousand dollars coming in and you, in your head, you spend it and you spend that thousand dollars three or four or five times <laughs> and in your head, you've allocated it to five different things. And it's like, I can only spend it once. I can only spend the time once. So uh, in my mind, I think, oh, I'll watch all these TV shows that I've been waiting on and I'll read these books. I've, you know, so all these things on all these cues, I'll read all these comics. I was like, I can only do one of those things at a time. So um, I may conceivably just focus on the comics this time and not even worry about anything else because, uh, you know, it feels uh, feels kind of good. Um, I think I'm going to stop the feedback there. I will say in life, uh, you know, I've been talking about the mom stuff. If there's two things I want to happen during um, during this break, I want to get 
all the bins of mom stuff out. I threw away an entire photo album. <laughs> I threw away multiple photo albums with that awful vinyly staticky stuff that, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you would use those to hold your photos, the prints of your photos that you got from Photomat. I also got a, a brick. This thing has got to be six inches deep. So it's maybe, oh, I don't know, 500 photos of like class trips that my mom chaperoned for Augusta high schools. I don't give one shit about anything in this thing. It's lots of pictures of, you know, British stuff and French stuff. Pictures of Paris in 1997. And I think one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to write a little bit about this for the mythical uh, Box of Rocks zine issue two. But I think I'm going to, I the reason I didn't, I actually threw these things in the trash once and then fished them out because I think I'm just going to take those pictures, cut them up and make a giant collage out of this. And, uh, you know, write a story about dealing with dead people's stuff and then use these collages of these photos uh, to go along with it. That's at least the idea. I might, it might just be me procrastinating on throwing it away. But I've been scanning pictures um, and throwing stuff away. And uh, God help me. By the time I go back to work in January, God help me if there are still boxes of my dead mother's shit in my office. I want it gone. I want it gone so bad. I'm so close I can taste it. All right. With that, we're going to end this show. Thank you all for the feedback. You can always send more feedback. Dave at evilgeniuschronicles.org. I appreciate it. As of now... We have declared bankruptcy. So anything that didn't get read on the show today is not getting read in the future. And uh, going forward, I'll try to be uh, a little more responsive, both in real time. If you're asking me a thing, particularly a timely thing that needs, like sometimes people will say, hey, uh, I'm going to Myrtle Beach. What should I do? You know, that's kind of thing. I try to be responsive to those things that are timely, but, uh, you know, particularly like bigger philosophical stuff. And sometimes people are, you know, Reed did this and a few people did this. Uh, you know, basically tossing me a softball to talk about on the show, which is wildly appreciated because sometimes, I mean, I got a giant list of topics uh, in Obsidian, of course, but you know, it, it, like anything, sometimes uh, you know, it's like when you cook a week's worth of meals and then you don't want to eat any of it, you just go to Burger King. <laughs> it's like, wait a second, I prepared everything I want to do and I froze it, and all I have to do is reheat it. And I don't want anything that I did. Sometimes I'm like that. It's like I don't want any of these topics I prepared for myself. Uh, so uh, it can be helpful. So thank you again. Uh, celebrate the holiday of your celebrating, and uh, we will see you again soon. Do not forget as you go out into uh, the cold and or hot. <laughs> of December, depending on uh, where you are in the world and whether you're upside down or right side up. Uh, don't forget that I love you. Goodbye. Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slosher. This show is being recorded for December 18th, 2022. Ah, holiday time. What? What the fuck was I just going to say? I had something I wanted to say. I'll say, let's wait. Let's wait here quietly while I think of it. Remembered it yet? Every step of fucking adventure.